Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Bloombox Growing Deeper. We're so excited to have you here. How have you been, Sarah? Wonderful. I am loving this practically fall weather that we have been having uh, between Mm -hmm. the rain and it not being 105 anymore. It's been absolutely gorgeous. That's for sure. I have to admit I was out of town all last week. Yeah. I was in Chicago for a couple of different things. Visited one of my friends and her two daughters who are toddler and almost five. So fun. Yes, it was a lot of fun. And we went to Morton Arboretum. I'm so jealous. Right? If you've never been, it's not that far away. Nick's been talking about going to the Illinois football game this year. Mm. And I said, what about Northwestern? (laughs) There you go. I like it. So, yeah, I would recommend it, especially if you have kids. Last time I was there was before she had kids. Oh, yeah. And so we did walk through the forest and all of that so this time with kids it was a whole new experience for me because I don't have kids right and um they were having a blast and all the and learning about the plants and I cheated a bit and would pick things to teach them (laughs) about (laughs) I cannot imagine if I was running a botanical garden and someone picked something to teach a child I can't imagine complaining. Well, about and that. I only picked in the in the kids right. section, and it was not like prize plants. It was here's a cat mint. Do you know what that smells yeah. like? You know, no one's running out of cat mint anytime <laughs> right. soon. Yeah, so we had a blast. I would recommend it. That sounds wonderful. Everyone should go check it out. But we're not here to talk about vacation plans. Summer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someday we will. Yeah. Um, we're here to talk about butterflies. Uh, It's a great time of year for butterflies. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. I love it. My yard is just so full. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen as many. I feel like they're a little bit later this year, and I've heard that from a lot of people. I Well, I mean, we didn't have a whole lot of blooms for a little bit with the drought, Mm -hmm. and then they're not going to come out in the rain, so I feel like that... We had been seeing them, but it was like, today there's butterflies and today there's not. Yeah. But it's getting pretty consistent now. I feel like there's kind of always butterflies out. Yes. Yeah. It's They need the warmer sun, light, yeah. direct sunlight. Yeah. It, I mean, like you said, it's been a weird year. Drought and then super rainy, even though we're not out of drought in eastern Nebraska, right. that is. And then it was hot and now it's like fall. Now it's like fall. It's very confusing, <laughs> but the garden's loving it. Yeah. My garden is exploding. I'll share an update at the end, but I have more problems. Oh, no. (laughs) That need to be addressed. My fall garden is not going quite as I planned. Bummer. It's not quite fall yet. There's time. Well, I think it's going to be robust. Oh, I'm good. Too robust. That's the problem. Well, I mean, (laughs) I'm missing a sidewalk. Let me just say that. uh, I mean,. Maybe you just don't walk there this year. It's the main sidewalk to my house. Oh, well, that's kind of important. <laughs> right. Anyways, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. But let's talk about butterflies. I do yeah. feel like I noticed that the butterflies were out mm-hmm. more because in our house, when food gets dropped on the ground outside, <laughs> sometimes we eat it because we're animals. Sometimes <laughs> it's food for the birds. That's sure. what we've taught Silas. That one's for the birds. Well, he, sta- he shifted that phrase to... That one's for the butterflies, Aww. which I didn't think about until I realized it's because there's been butterflies around. Sure. We, we had some baby birds nest on our patio and they're gone. They grew up and flew away. Mm-hmm. And or you got were, eaten. Like, no, they just... grew up and flew away. <laughs> <laughs> they are happily living in the tree next yes. door. <laughs> um, but now there's butterflies. Now there's butterflies. <laughs> Yay. Cool. All right. Well, let's just do a big overview of butterflies, and then we're going to talk about some specifics okay. and how people can support butterflies in their gardens. So first, Sarah, did you know Nebraska has 206 species of butterflies? Dang. Yes. I have not seen 206 species. That Neither could have be I. a fungal. Ooh, I like mm-hmm. it. We could do another BioBlitz of butterflies where we try to get all 206 yeah. in our Bloombox Gardens. We'll Let's see. Let's ask Toby. Let's I ask think Toby. it'd be fun. 
Um, and we are going to put an excellent resource from Nebraska Game and Parks in the show notes because it has pictures and videos of many of the most common butterflies. So if you're unfamiliar and trying to learn about identifying various species, this would be a great resource. And it has butterflies and moths. And I really like this resource because of the video part, because how many of us see butterflies sitting still? Unless they're dead, not very many. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I like it's you can look at the video and a lot of times if you take an entomology class, you learn mm-hmm. that butterflies can be identified by their flight patterns, too. Yes. And so the, I kind of like birds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find the videos really helpful. Yes. And so you're most likely to see butterflies between May and August, though I know I've seen them earlier and later, yep. just depending on the year. And some years there's booms and some years there's busts, just like with any population yep. of wildlife that you see. I feel like I hear people um, really panic when we just have a bust year and it's like instant world decimations. Like, hang on. Yes, we are losing butterflies, and that, that's bad. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at, like, five or ten years, because just like oak trees, there's big years and there's small years, mm-hmm. naturally. Exactly. Yes. So here's some of the species that I see the most, and Sarah's going to share some of hers. And it's funny because some of them that I have on my haven't seen, Sarah has on her sees the most. So, of course, I see monarchs. I think we all do, mainly because they're big (laughs) and easy to identify. However, they get confused with viceroys, Mm -hmm. for sure, and sometimes regal fritillaries, um, though that's a little bit easier to tell apart. And so I think those are kind of some of the three biggest that I see around. And then I do see Eastern Tiger Swallowtail. Cool. But you see... More yellow and black. Yeah. I see lots of yellow and black swallowtails. One we have both not seen as much is zebra swallowtails. Right. I would love to see more of those. We're going to talk about why we maybe don't see those a little bit later Um, and then I think some of them that you probably would recognize everyone if you haven't if you don't know the names and you were just going through you would recognize cabbage white they're everywhere yep especially in your vegetable garden Mm -hmm. red admirals Mm -hmm. also everywhere you just might not know the name red spotted purple is another good one. (laughs) Is it more purple with red spots or red with purple spots? To me, it has neither red nor purple. Okay. (laughs) So a picture would be helpful. Yes. Here, let's pull up a picture so that you can see it. Because when I saw that, I was like, I have seen these. I would have never said that that it was red spotted or purple. (laughs) So let's pull it up. You might have to show me a picture of a morning cloaked. Oh, I've seen those. Right? Yeah, it's blue. It's blue. Guys. It's blue and maybe green. Yeah, and black a little bit. There like, is no purple. I guess there's some red spots up here. Okay. Like if you look in the very up, like wings. Yeah, but there's no purple. There's no purple. Oh, here it is. Closed. Uh, see, a little okay. bit more red spotted purple. Yeah, and that's an important thing when you're identifying butterflies to have both. Uh, open picture Mm -hmm. and a close because some they are just like the same inside and out and some are totally different Mm -hmm. so those are some of mine what others do you see well like you said i see a lot of yellow and black swallowtails which is different um from you and i see tons of painted ladies Mm -hmm. tons of them yeah um i mean what they migrate i think right through my yard well they're more of a spring one how much of painted ladies do you think too are all the kids just Growing them. Growing them and releasing them. <laughs> well, I do live a couple blocks from daycare and they yeah. released painted ladies. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe the they easiest. just came home. Yeah. <laughs> um, I see quite a few fritillaries, especially mm-hmm. the um, yep. little gray ones. Mm-hmm. I have, I don't know their name, but I see a lot of those. Yeah. I just go, here's a fritillary. <laughs> yeah. The fritillaries are just a category mm-hmm. uh, to me. I know. I know that's not true, but yeah. um, I see less monarchs than you. Yeah. Um, And I think this is where it's kind of fun to compare that we obviously plant different plants in our yard. Sure. But some some the same. But some the same. But you live in a very urban Mm -hmm. and I live in a town, but not a large town. And we live, I live straight north of Hannah. So Mm -hmm. we're kind of in line there, but um, I am about half an hour north. So it is fun to compare that 
um, what you know comes into town, what doesn't. I think a lot of people in Lincoln are trying to plant milkweeds, mm-hmm. which helps. I don't see as much milkweed in Wahoo because we have it in the ditches. Right. Yep. Okay. Any other butterflies you want to talk about before we move into attracting them? I don't think so. Okay. So, like I said, that was just a few. There's 206 species. If you try to find them all in your garden, that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Although you I'm sure there to... are some in the east and west I that think don't come. You probably can't get them all in one garden. Fine then. There okay. are some. I went to a talk with the NRD or mm. NRD. I, I was doing flowers and she mm-hmm. was doing butterflies. Um, Sydney was doing butterflies and I was doing wildflowers. And, um, she, I remember from her talk that there are some that just barely make it into the corner, northwest corner of Nebraska, and some that just make it into the southeast corner. So you're not going to find them all in one place. Okay, fine. Sorry to bust that. That was a fun... We'll just do it as a whole group. Well, maybe you make vacation plans. Oh, Look to, at that. To get other ones. I love it. Okay, so what is needed to attract butterflies to your garden? Flowers. Flowers is <laughs> number one, right? So they need sun because they need, they, you know, they're ectothermic. So they don't, exothermic, my bad, ecto. Which, not. ecto, exterior. <laughs> right. So anyways, so they need the sun to warm up in the mornings. Like a lizard. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. And to just be active. That's why on cloudy days or cold days, you see them a lot less active. And that's why if you've ever gone to like a butterfly pavilion, say at the zoo or something, you see a lot of them on the roof because they're they're trying to hit the sun, get warmed up, and then they'll be more active. So the best time to go to a butterfly garden like that is afternoon because it's warmer. And then they need blooming plants throughout their whole time that they're going to be there so make sure you have blooms year or as much you know spring summer fall as much as you can i want to pause because this is a question we get a lot is how come we can't do pollinator gardens for shade because bloom box if you sign up to buy bloom box we say a minimum of four hours of sunlight and really that's sort of stretching it Mm -hmm. and this is why it's not just because sarah doesn't like designing shea gardens i love shea gardens sarah hates trees actually (laughs) it's hard to work here no i love trees i love shea gardens but it's really hard to create a pollinator specific shea garden even though we have blooming plants in the shade our butterflies don't enjoy Mm -hmm. hanging out there so um that's why it's lots not just of insects us. don't. No. Yeah. They all need the sun to stay warm. There are some insects that, you know, the ground dwelling ones, but you're not going to see them up pollinating. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So back to plants. So you need plants that grow or that bloom as much as possible through all the seasons so that there's always something for them to eat. Right. So make sure you're not getting that midsummer lull that we mm-hmm. talk about a lot. Uh, that you have something all the time. And then we're also going to post this resource uh, that the National Wildlife Federation has. But it does say that they like pink, orange, red, purple, and yellow blooms most. So, by the way, that's all the colors. That's all the colors, (laughs) except white, Uh which I do find a lot of butterflies on some... uh, Well, we're going to talk specific flowers Mm -hmm. in a minute. I want to ask you which season you have the hardest time planting. It's definitely midsummer. Really? Yeah. Because like right now I don't have a whole lot blooming, but I can see that like my asters are kind of just starting. My liatris are kind of just starting. My goldenrod are kind of just starting. So I think I need to plant some of the goldenrod and asters or sorry, goldenrod and liatris that that bloom a little earlier right because you know my love of fall i know you love a fall garden <laughs> and i love that because many people forget fall yeah it, when they plant and i find that that's one of the interesting things is i also have liatris and goldenrod in my garden but i have different species than mm-hmm. Hannah, and my liatris is almost done and my goldenrod's almost already blooming because we planted different species right my fall garden struggles a little but i hear most people having trouble with spring Really? If they're trying to plant native plants. Sure. And I think that they're, it, we just aren't talking about some of our spring flowers enough. Mm-hmm. So 
maybe we will do an episode on that as we get close we to garden planting because there's many and um, we're going to have an episode coming up about planting bulbs. Yes. Because that is my favorite way to plant mm-hmm. for the first spring blooms. Mm-hmm. So one thing I think to keep in mind, too, is I have certain gardens that don't have any blooms in certain times of year, but other parts of my garden does. So I planted this like prairie section in a part of my garden that I wanted to be a little bit more wild and that I wouldn't have to maintain. So I planted some intense species in that thing that would kind of take over. (laughs) And a lot of those are blooming in the summer. So that's a good Mm -hmm. spot. I have my heliopsies just like really kicking them out. Um, I have rattlesnake baster in there. So all of those in the summer. And like you said, we're going to talk about plants. So I'll, I'll leave those. Your average yard is not big enough to right. like need each garden to be perfect. You're, you can consider your yard an area to have spring, summer, and fall bloomers. Yes, that you is, don't need. <laughs> was a really weird way to say that. Yeah, Do you yeah, want to yeah. recap? <laughs> yeah. I would look at it this way. Insects can travel short distances. So as long as you have spots for them all seasons on your land whether that is a front yard garden and a backyard garden something like that where they can travel between even if you coordinate with your neighbor if that's something that you want to do that's totally cool um you don't need to have it all in one like 10 square foot right you don't need this perfect 10 square foot pollinator garden if around your yard you have seasonal blooms mm-hmm. if you ha- are talking like acreage space yeah we you know that's a little different but for your average homeowner's lawn even a couple neighbors working together yeah and i guess i should remember too i have wild strawberry all throughout my oh, lawn yeah. and insects love that thing yeah they so do and i think i'm okay clover in your lawn mm-hmm. you're pretty much just good yep Okay, so we're kind of getting into that already. So let's just talk about it. What plants would we recommend to attract butterflies? I mean, if you can handle the long conversion clover. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are not there at my house yet, (laughs) but clover in your lawn, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, hands down. I see tons of butterflies on my rattlesnake master, which you mentioned, and my liatris. Mm -hmm. My amsonia is where I found all those painted ladies. So in the spring, that thing was just... So Amsonia is also Blue Star. Right. Um, it's one of those plants that often goes by its scientific name, but mm-hmm. you might know it as Arkansas Blue Star or Shining Blue Star. And it blooms in May. It does. It's early. Mm-hmm. And man, it was covered in the painted ladies. Mm-hmm. I need to go back and see if I had any caterpillars. Oh, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, and then my annual pots. Uh-huh. You know, I've got verbena in pots and daisies and different things in my mm-hmm. planters, and they love those. Yep. Um, I see it on my heliopsis mm-hmm. this time of year. They really like my betony. <laughs> you know, I tried to order it for fall. It was unavailable. It's on the spring list. Okay. You have one. Um, in the spring. Yay. Okay. <laughs> and then um, my... Mm, it's coming to me. It's the one I always confuse with lead plant. What's the other metal? Oh, ironweed. <laughs> ironweed. Oh, yes. My, My ironweed. Has yours been blooming? Yes. Mine is just starting. Mine has been blooming for a couple weeks now. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that fits the bill of purple tube-like flowers. Yes. Perfectly. Yes. And it's high up kind yep. of where they fly. Mm-hmm. So I think that helps a lot, too. Um, let me think Joe what else. Pie. Joe pie. Yes. Oh. I see them at my Joe pie. My Rudbeckia is like a, it's crazy. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. We planted sunflowers this year and they yeah. loved those. Mm-hmm. So those are all good, like mid summer ones. What are some spring and fall? We talked so, about Betany and Blue Star. And, what it, are, and the Amsonia. What else mm-hmm. do I see on spring? Flocks. Flocks. I'll see them on flocks. Early allium. Early alliums. Um, my mountain mint actually mm-hmm. blooms fairly early and I will see lots of them on that now this time of year when the flowers start i see all the bees on my mountain mint and the Mm -hmm. butterflies have gone to the other plants but when it's just mountain mint blooming they love it yeah um what else is kind of earlier some of the milkweeds are pretty early sure Mm -hmm. yeah we haven't even talked about we haven't even got to milkweed (laughs) (laughs) Uh uh-huh so and then for fall i like asters yep 
like I said, some of the later blooming liatris. Yep. Mm -hmm, Those are all good ones. I don't see as many butterflies on my goldenrod. Do you? No, I feel like goldenrod is bees and beetles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just kind of count goldenrod out for butterflies. Yeah. (laughs) I don't see any. Some of the rudbeckias will last pretty late into the fall. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, asters, though. I mean, mm-hmm. all those little rusty, small butterflies, they are always mm-hmm. covering the, the mm-hmm. asters. Exactly. So those would all be good plants to yeah. put in. So many options. One thing we didn't mention is grasses. I don't see butterflies on grasses. They're so too hard. Grasses aren't often a pollen source. Right. They have almost no nectar, so they're definitely not a nectar source. So you will see some very small bees gather pollen from grasses. What grasses do in a pollinator garden is provide the shelter. Mm -hmm. So when we start talking about um, the... Which is what we're talking about next. Oh, is it what we're... Yes, so go ahead. So when they start to look for a place to form their chrysalis or for moss, when they start to look for a place to find their cocoon um, or, you know, just hide from a rainstorm because Mm -hmm. butterflies can't fly in the rain those bunch grasses mm-hmm. so little blue stem our sedges our switchgrass they're really um, safe places for those butterflies to hide yep. so grasses are really important in a pollinator garden especially for butterflies even if they're not the food source right yes which is what we're going to talk about a little bit as well which is that uh, there's a lot of thought that goes into providing food sources for butterflies mm-hmm. but they need that shelter source in grasses yep. and then also another thing you can provide them is a shallow pan that you dig into the soil and then you put rocks and sand in it yeah and put a little water in it mm-hmm. not standing water no but like, we don't want mosquitoes <laughs> no water just like absorbed in the sand because butterflies that's how they get their minerals yeah. is through drinking the water in the sand and, and around the and rocks. Those rocks will have pores. Even mm-hmm. if you can't really see the pores, they'll drink the water out of the, the pores mm-hmm. on the rocks. I see tons of butterflies drink out of my concrete. So yes. if I'm hosing something down and I leave a wet spot, mm-hmm. as soon as I walk away and it gets warm in the sun, there will be all sorts of insects drinking out of all the little holes in right. the concrete. And so that brings up another good point. Put that in the sun. Mm-hmm. Don't put it. I know it, it seems counterintuitive, like they wouldn't want to be out in the open, but they do. They do. Yeah. Yes. They'll fly away if something comes after them. They're pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. So don't try to hide it under the grass to give up shelter. Just put it right out there and they'll, they'll yep. come and find it. And then another thing to keep in mind is just that pretty much all insecticides will harm yeah. butterflies. It doesn't matter if it's organic. Mm-mm. Sorry. Organic pesticide, still a pesticide. Right. So um, it is important, if that's a concern of yours, to have insects close to your house, that you locate your pollinator garden a little further away. So if you have anybody spraying for termites, if you Mm -hmm. have anybody spraying for ants, that is something that can affect your pollinators. So I often recommend that people don't use their pollinator garden as a foundation planting. Yes. Or you can do like me. And just ask them to only spray inside. Yeah, that absolutely. <laughs> Which is something that I did. Yeah, I said no, no, my outside stuff. No, outside no. they're allowed. Inside they're not. Right. I had a. I was home the other day, uh, and a pest control guy knocked on my door. Oh. And he'd he'd already walked through, to get to my front door. You've walked through a couple gardens. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know they have to. It's mm-hmm. it's there. They have to book so many doors mm-hmm, they've knocked mm-hmm. on, and I, I am always nice to them. But you could tell from his attitude, he already was like, I just have to <laughs> knock on this door. She doesn't want anything. Yeah. And <laughs> we both understood each other pretty yeah. well. Sometimes you got to do it inside. There's just yeah, an issue here and there. I mean, you can't have you can't have ants invading you or termites right. eating your house. I do not do the monthly one. No, just when just, I notice there's a problem. Right. And, and that is a great way to do that, to mm-hmm. keep all of that stuff inside where you are. So it can poison me. So, yeah. And <laughs> they promised me it was non toxic, but I don't know. I don't know how that, Anyways. I don't know how you can get rid of ants without. Uh, I try yeah. all the stuff, the dish soap and yeah. the, everything. And My mother in law says borax. I've done borax. No. Um, I did learn I did borax wrong. Oh. So you can do it wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, but they feed it to their babies, oh. which mm. is like. Sorry. All right. Not, let's go back things. to butterflies. Yeah. So 
it's remember back to our episode about pollinator insects, right? You need to provide both nectar and mm-hmm. hosts, which are often different plants yes. for the same insect. Yes. So let's talk about host plants. Let's talk about monarchs because it's the one everyone knows. That's at the bottom. I of know it is the list, but it makes such an easy, <laughs> uh, you know, example. Okay. So we'll talk. We'll save the monarch discussion, but just as an example, monarchs. You see them eating liatris, rattlesnake master, Mm -hmm. they love rudbeckias, but everybody says it's milkweed for the monarch. So why is that? Because that's her host plant. That's what the babies eat, Mm -hmm. the caterpillars. So you may see, I don't see a lot of adult monarchs feed on on a milkweed as heavily as they do other plants. You Mm -hmm. will here and there. But I mostly see other butterflies feeding on the milkweed Mm -hmm. flowers. But they they will lay their eggs on the milkweed. So mm-hmm. that when the caterpillars hatch, their food is right there. And we know the relationship. Caterpillars eat milkweed, so they're poisonous. So uh, once that caterpillar goes to form its chrysalis, it's going to move on to something else. Yep. And pretty much only monarch caterpillars host on milkweed. As far as I un- understand. Yeah, I'm telling yeah. you that. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> I thought it sounded like a sorry. question. I was like, I, I, I don't know. No, sorry. No. <laughs> okay. That is that is true statement. True statement. Only monarchs <laughs> larval host on milkweed. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So there you have it. Okay. Here's how we can attract some others. Okay. Do you know the host plant for zebra swallowtails? Without Papa. <laughs> she read it. <laughs> yes, I, I, I think you knew that, that one. That. Yeah. Yeah. It is pawpaw trees. Which are so cool. That's I love that. And that is another one that really only zebra swallowtail uh, caterpillars will yeah. eat because it also has a toxicity to it. We call that a specialist. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why we don't see a whole lot of zebra swallowtails at our house. I don't have papa. I don't, I don't have think. Papas. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't have papa. Um, we used to see them more around campus, but. We have no more papas. Yeah, we lost a lot of papas. So if you really like zebra swallowtails or if you want to try to support as many species as possible, we would recommend a papa tree. And the nice thing about papa trees is that they do stay smaller mm-hmm. so you can fit more, but you do need more than one. If you want fruit. If, if you just yeah. want zebra swallowtails, one's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it depends, it depends on your goals. Yeah. I would not ever bother. I would like to have a fruit tree for the fruit so i would want to plant usually we say three because we don't often know if it's a male or female tree when we're planting and three gives us better odds Mm -hmm. that at least one will be male or female yes yep but if you don't want fruit just plant one just plant one for the swallowtails they are still cool small understory trees their leaves are so cool i love pawpaw leaves i think of the, they're so tropical looking. Mm-hmm. It's so funny to find them in Nebraska, mm-hmm. especially since it's in the Bear Necessities song. I always thought of them <laughs> as a jungle plant. And I then, did not know they were in that song. They are in that song. And then you get to college and they're teaching you plant ID and you're like, um, I thought this was in the jungle. <laughs> no, we have some really cool. I think catalpas look tropical, too. Yes, they do. And trop- uh, catalpas are the larval host for a few different species, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Catalpas are a good one. I mean, if you're just looking in general, I, I kind of pulled out some species-specific, but yeah. we know that oaks, catalpas, like lots of trees support um, butterfly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how about giant swallowtails? Those are fun butterflies, and they, funnily enough, mostly prefer citrus. Which so, clearly we can't. Yeah, do grow. we have any citrus that comes? That we don't have here? citrus, but they like hop trees uh, too. Hop hornbeam. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So we can grow those. We can, and they are also a really cool understory tree, mm-hmm. which I feel like doesn't get talked about enough. We talk about our giant trees, but we don't talk about our smaller fit in anyone's yard. Yep. Hop hornbeam, papa. Almost anybody can find room for one of those. Absolutely. So that would be another good one. All right. Now on to eastern black swallowtails, which don't need trees. No, they need your herb garden. <laughs> they do, yes. So I find them all the time on my parsley and my fennel and my dill. You know, I wonder if that's why I see so many swallowtails. Because yeah. I have a huge herb garden. Mm-hmm. And I have all of those things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that just leave a little bit of each for your butterfly friends. I do. 
Yeah. Because I plant more than I can harvest. <laughs> right. Every time. Yes. This is something I hear from people all the time. They're like, oh, I don't use my herb garden. I don't use my whole herb garden. Other things do. Other things do. And it's okay. It's still a plant. You can just leave it. Right. Sometimes <laughs> I, I actually just really like oregano as a plant mm-hmm. because its flowers are pretty. The bumblebees love it. So I have oregano that's for me in my herb garden mm-hmm. that I chose the species I think tastes better. But then I plant other oreganos in my pots and things just to be pretty. Yeah. So those are all good ways. So now back to monarchs because they need milkweed. They need some very specific things for their larval host. So they use milkweed. And we're going to talk about monarchs pretty much the rest of the episode. Kind of get real in depth on our monarchs. So I'm going to full disclosure. We decided to do this episode because I like to complain about monarchs and how popular they are. And I agree. And so we have many (laughs) private discussions about this. Yes. Now you have to listen to it. Don't get me wrong. We love monarchs and we do feel that they should be protected. Absolutely. 100%. They've had Depending on which source you go to, anywhere between a 90 and 99% population decline since the 1980s. That's a short amount of time to experience a large population decline. And they are beautiful insects with really important cultural um, Mm -hmm. meaning to different groups of people because of their cool migrational pattern, which we don't get in every butterfly. Right. So that is one thing that I listed here as a reason why they are so popular and so well known mm-hmm. by people and that their their need to protect them is that they their range is the entire North America. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of big. That's huge. You don't see that in most insects, one. As, and then mostly just birds right? That, that kind of share that because you have to be able to fly. So to we've got Mexico. It. Do they go into Canada? Yeah, yes. How, how far into Not Canada? as Not far. far. And it's okay. usually only in like peak summer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we've Be- got Canada to Mexico. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows a monarch. Right. Now they do have two distinct populations separated by the Rocky Mountains. Oh. So you have an eastern population and a western population. That does make sense. Mm-hmm. That would be hard to cross the continental divide as a yes. tiny paper insect. Yes. And the eastern um, population is the one that winters in Mexico. Okay. The western population sends its winters in on the coast of California. Well, that makes sense. Which does yeah. include part of Mexico because right. you get the Baja California, right? right. But um, the ones that make it into like the, the forests in Mexico that we talk about a lot. That's the, the eastern, eastern. Yeah. population that we're going to see there. So these are important. However, are you familiar, Sarah, with the term um, charismatic megafauna? Ooh, I can guess. Okay. So megafauna would be something very large and charismatic would be something that people get along with. Yes. So it's something that people can relate to and appreciate mm-hmm. easier than other species. Exactly. Ha-ha. Very good. <laughs> so yes, in so as you know, my undergrad is in parks and recreation management and a lot of what we talk about in the wildlife and ecology side of that uh, career is the species that people want to see. So yeah. in the US, that's often bears mm-hmm. of all type. Interesting. Um, buffalo is People another love their buffalo. big one. I'm going to order a shirt. The National Park Service just put out a shirt that supports them um, that says, please do not pet the fluffy cows. I love it. There's, <laughs> There's a buffalo on it. A really funny pic, uh, sign at Smith Falls State Park that's like a few different wildlife and how close you can get to it. Yeah. And the buffalo's like, stop going near this animal. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. They don't like you. Mm-hmm. Um, it also includes a lot of big cats, you know, people like mm-hmm. those. In uh, many countries in Africa, we have the big five, right? Yeah. Lions, elephants, giraffes. I really wanted you to say lions, tigers, and bears. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> well, those are all megafauna, yes. charismatic megafauna. I would like to, I think that monarch butterflies count as a charismatic megafauna, even though they're not mega. <laughs> I 100% agree, and and that is why even those of us who are well-educated in pollinators yes. still use them, because it, 
let me just just to be honest, you need wasps a lot more than you need a monarch. Yes. As far as it, like when we talk about needing pollinators for food production, do you know how hard it is to me to sell to a preschool teacher that our insect unit, we should talk about wasps? Right. Yes. <laughs> and really hard. Yes. So, so we try to use these charismatic megafauna to educate broadly so that then people care about even the things that they might not actually care about. Right. right? Because what's the most endangered, endangered thing in Nebraska? It is prairies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People don't care about grasses, they right? Don't. It's just not as exciting. And you have like the um, Salt Creek tiger beetle. Yeah. Almost none of its habitat exists anymore. And people had to work really hard to save what is left. But it's hard to be like, here's this little beetle that lives only in this certain part and you should protect it. Right. But when it's something like a monarch butterfly or and uh, all you've mountain lion. plant a mountain uh- all you've got to do is plant a milkweed. That's so easy to do. Everybody right. can do that. Yes. So that's one thing why we kind of, you know, grumble about monarchs, but we still love them. Yeah. The hope. <laughs> so when people do this kind of education, the idea is that everybody can relate to a monarch. Butterflies are pretty. I do mm-hmm. actually know a couple people scared of butterflies, which is funny. They're scared <laughs> of anything that flies. Yes, so like, I know a couple of those. And that, yeah. that happens. But for the most part, everybody can love a butterfly. And there's one action to save it, plant milkweed. That's not true, but that's how we talk about yes. it. Yes. And the hope is that that gets a message out to almost the whole population. Mm-hmm. And a portion of those people are going to love monarchs for a year and then want to learn more. Yes. And they're going to learn about these other pollinators. And since they're recognizable across the North America, big organizations like the National Wildlife Federation can talk about them and everyone will know what they're right. talking about. And smaller organizations located in, in local places can work together. Yes. Because their neighbor organization also knows mm-hmm. monarchs. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of good things. And then there's just some things that when you're working with them, with pollinators every day, it gets annoying. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're at. <laughs> so sometimes we do get tired of, of hearing mm-hmm. the focus on monarchs because as far as pollination services, they don't offer a whole lot here. Yes, They're here to lay their eggs. Mm-hmm. They eat a little bit while they're here. That's great because they pollinate. But the majority of our pollination services come from bees, wasps, and beetles. Yep. Okay, so I want to read a little bit from the National Wildlife Federation since I got a lot of information from them. We're going to link this Absolutely. in the show notes so that you can look at it all yourself. But um, let's talk about this. So monarch butterflies, like we said, are found across North America. And whether monarchs are present in a given area within their range depends on the time of the year, since they are one of the few migratory insects. So they're traveling great distances between summer breeding habitat and winter habitat, where they spend several months inactive. In the summer, they range as far as southern Canada. So that's that. And in the fall, the eastern population migrates to central Mexico and the western goes to coastal California, like I said. Um, So they kind of go everywhere. But from September into early October, the fall southern migration to Mexico begins with a majority of monarchs following the reverse path south along the central migratory corridor. And monarchs from the northeast head south along the Atlantic coast. Okay, so there's like... A bunch of different migratory patterns that these follow and I think the fun thing about it is that their life cycle range changes depending on what time of year it is so that certain generations do the migration path it's not that they're reproducing every six weeks along the way it's that at that point that butterfly lives longer so let's let's pause there for a second because I think this is confusing and I get a lot of questions about it. So, so let's say um, butterfly George. No, wait, <laughs> we need a female Georgette hatches from an egg in Nebraska. Uh-huh. Where may Georgette end up? Central Mexico. Central Mexico. And will mm-hmm. she come back next year to lay another egg? No, no. So she goes to Central Mexico and her life ends there. But she reproduces. She there. reproduces there too. Yes. And so Georgette has a baby. Uh, a. <laughs> I'm out of names. <laughs> Alfred. Alfred. 
That would be a boy. So that's okay. How about the males? We need a male. Are they going to stay? <laughs> they, they also migrate. they also migrate. They also migrate. Mm-hmm. And so, but not every butterfly that you see migrates. Right. Because some may live their whole life cycle in, in this one, one place. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So there you go. There are populations of monarchs in Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and some islands of the Caribbean, as well as New Zealand. Cool. And they may have been blown to those places in storms or naturally dispersed there by island hopping or introduced uh, by humans, of course. But these are not populations that are counted in the North American migration. And they probably don't migrate. No, they probably just stay. I mean, why would you leave Hawaii? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they can have everything they need year round at one spot. Um, Speaking of the IUCN did add monarchs in 2022 to their red list of threatened and endangered species. And they decided mostly climate change and pesticide use as the factors. And I got to say, the fact that monarchs could get blown to another continent (laughs) and create a breeding population, and yet we're still managing to kill them, says more about us than them Mm -hmm. because they seem to be a pretty resilient population and so that really is significant that um you know an insect that could get blown to a completely different country find a food source and create a breeding population and yet can't survive our activities that's a problem Mm -hmm. okay so let's get back to milkweed because we're going to talk about some ways that we can help and i have about five different ways you can help i see this so number one Milkweed. Their host plant is milkweed and they need more of it. And one of the reasons why we focus on milkweed is because a lot of it has been removed from the natural landscape. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or is in danger of pesticide use. Yes. So it may exist, but the insects that hatch on that are not going to survive. Yes. So you can plant milkweed. Any type of milkweed. Lots of people ask for butterfly milkweed. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? It's great. Lots of people ask for common. Yeah. That's the one I would not plant in my garden. Yes. Common milkweed spreads by rhizomes. Mm-hmm. Um, fine in a ditch. We need it in the ditch. I don't personally wish to grow it in my garden. So butterfly milkweed, people recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people ask for butterfly weed. And I'm never clear on which species <laughs> they're asking for when they ask for that. I think they just mean milkweed. Sure. And they're open to any. That's how I treat it. So if any of you know which milkweed is, butterfly, <laughs> butterfly weed, weed is supposed to be, let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of milkweeds so to choose from. You don't, and it's, it's not that one is preferred over the other. No, we need probably a variety of them. Mm-hmm. And they're suitable to different gardens. Mm-hmm. So butterfly milkweed, that's bright orange. So people love it for that. It's kind of different looking. Uh, swamp milkweed is also probably the most versatile and easy to grow without taking over your garden. Mm-hmm. So um, if people are blaming milkweed for problems, you either have Hannah's vine of death, which is the vining <laughs> which milkweed. Which is an invasive species. Yep, so we don't want that. We don't no want vines that of death. Or you have common milkweed, and we don't grow that in our greenhouse because, mm-hmm. A, it grows itself just fine. <laughs> and, B, we don't want to res- – we don't feel responsible putting it in people's gardens. Yeah. Yep. So that's a good one. I thought one thing that was interesting is that the National Wildlife Federation does recommend tropical milkweed, yeah. which is kind of rare for someone to recommend a non-native plant. Of course, we want native ones, um, but tropical milkweed can be easier to grow for some people, mm-hmm. especially if you're limited in space and you need something that can grow in a pot. Right. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're not worried about it is sometimes we are concerned about introducing species that could become invasive. Tropical milkweed has zero chance of surviving here outside of you planting it in a box. Yes. They do not recommend it in places where it could survive year round, such as California, some of the southern states. And I thought it was interesting, not because it will spread, but because it keeps the butterflies there and stops them from migrating. Because it blooms too long. Yes. That makes mm-hmm. sense. So in Nebraska and probably most of the Midwest yeah. and mountain regions i would imagine we're okay Mm -hmm. but if you are in the southern united states or the coastal areas check Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. our advice might not be good for you yes but you might have the chance to plant citrus trees and get some of those other butterflies that we can't get so jealous right okay so yeah tropical milkweed works too you can also help by advocating for flyway habitat 
along roads, all different types of places, right? Because we regularly see our ditches mowed and that takes down a lot of good habitat for all kinds of insects, monarchs included. Now, why roads? Because it's there, not mm-hmm. being used by anybody. Ideally, I would say this would be pockets through your cities. Yeah, could and, be that too. And away from roads because people will bring up the comment that we hit a lot of insects with our cars. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that across the United States, we have so many miles of ditches that are serving no purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they are serving a purpose. They take the water off the roadway <laughs> so we can drive. Yes, <laughs> they are important. But nobody's walking in them. Nobody's using them. And they may as well be habitat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are states that implement this well. Texas. Texas, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I, I love driving through there. Nebraska has implemented it very poorly. Yes. Um, I have no problem throwing shade on that because they've implemented <laughs> it badly. It's been seeded and, and it, maintained it, wrong. And it's a code. I think it's also a code issue. We have we have discrepancies in our code because we are a wildfire state. Mm-hmm. And so there is concern about having grasses near to roads where fires often start. And so that's a challenge that we have. Yeah. And we need to figure out how to overcome that. But kudos to many of our community parks and rec departments who have started to transition and sometimes are have successfully transitioned many parts of public parks that were just green monoculture lawns into less. um, How should I put this into better pollinator habitats that don't require mowing, Mm -hmm. but are still maintained? I think where the mistake was made was calling them low maintenance areas they're not guys Sorry, (laughs) they really are not they're actually kind of a lot of work to maintain but Mm -hmm. they're a different type of work so Mm -hmm. when we remove mowing we remove a lot of the pollution from our mowers we remove the compaction of driving back and forth and we give somebody um you know perhaps some a more of a varied job than sitting on a mower yes so our concerns are keeping woodies out keeping invasive species out um, there is a point where you have to mow and remove the bio waste from mm-hmm. that site but um it makes our parks so much prettier and this doesn't mean we're going to take away all the the green grass we need a place to play soccer and catch and have picnics mm-hmm. but we don't use all that we have right and there's people that want to be able to see flowers and butterflies on their walks in the park and birds and birds Mm -hmm. yes that's the thing i think people forget if you plant pollinator habitat you plant bird habitat oh yeah they go hand in hand they do okay so a couple of controversial ones okay that we can talk about Captive breeding. Yeah. Are you familiar with monarch captive breeding? Very familiar. Unsure how I feel. Okay. Well, we're going to link to an article by the Xerces Society, who is a group that we kind of get behind quite a bit. Um, we work with them, and we believe in their mission and what they do. And they actually do not recommend captive breeding. So there are a lot of people who feel that some of the best ways to support monarchs is to find the eggs or the caterpillars, collect them, bring them inside, rear them to butterfly, and then release them. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. I just, hands down, taking something you found wild into your home, not a fan. Yes. In pretty much any <laughs> circumstance. Unless you are a trained wildlife rehabilitation mm-hmm. person, there's no reason you should be taking wildlife into your home. Yes. So that's kind of their stance. The only times when I could see it being a positive, I know of some people who let milkweed and different things grow in their lawns. Mm -hmm. There comes a point where you have to mow. Right. (laughs) Because you're going to get weed control called on you or you just this is the world in which we live. Right. And so if you have milkweed growing in the middle of your lawn and you get to that point where you have to mow and then you can maybe collect them and move them or if you have to captive raise them that can help the population it would be better than destroying the habitat you created because i feel like it's Mm -hmm. kind of a psych like look we planted your habitat just kidding i'm gonna mow it (laughs) yes but if you can transition parts of it to be a no mow area where you have all the plants that we talked not all of them but all the options that we talked about with supporting a full pollinator life cycle um that would be a more preferable way to go agreed yes i would also say the time that i could support it is the classroom experience yes um and one of the reasons i support this is because it's not these teachers going outside 
finding something and bringing it in. These come from captive breeding programs. Mm-hmm. And they come with the education to properly care for the insects. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there's a place we need to teach. We need to. We need people to understand mm-hmm. and to have that experience. And so that is yeah. also. And learning it from watching and experiencing it is way better than watching even a video or right. looking at a book yes. or something. And so that, yeah, I just, I think education does trump some things mm-hmm. and and also the fact that they came from a captive breeding program, not yes. from people destroying what was naturally occurring. Yes. And next up is tagging. And we will link to Monarch Watch as well. Tagging is less controversial um, and is something you could do to help monitor migratory paths. So this is where you can order for free, I think, a tagging kit mm-hmm. and then as you find monarchs, you capture them and they teach you how to properly capture and hold them so that you can put a little sticker on their wing. Mm -hmm. And the sticker doesn't affect their ability to fly, um, but it has a number on it. And then you input that information into a spreadsheet that you send back to them. And they have very detailed instructions on this link that we're going to send everybody. Or not send it, but we're going (laughs) to post it for everybody. Um, So you can order those kits Follow the steps to a T. Don't hurt the butterflies. Follow the steps. <laughs> and you can put a little sticker on them. And then as they finish their life cycle, they are collected. And it will be noted then by the by the research team who's monitoring this, how far they went and where they were first spotted so that we can understand more about their migratory patterns. How do you feel about that? I think it's fine. I do, too. I think... There, there are things we need to do for research. I also we tag birds. We tag birds all the time. I also think that um, we will always interact with nature. If we stop interacting with nature, it will likely be because we have no more nature. And mm-hmm. so, properly training people to interact in a positive way, I I find much value in that. And all the information that we need, if we work together, we can get it. But mm-hmm. if we count on a research team of even 10 people, it's not enough. But no. when we can do these um, community science activities, not only does it help educate the general population, but it helps us get better information, right? less and biased information. How cool would it be to find out where the butterfly that you tagged ended up? Yes, you get to find out. I'll I w- tell you. I wanna, I'm going to order a kit. Yeah. I don't know how successful I'll be, but I'm going to try. <laughs> there you go. I like I it. I want to tag a butterfly that gets to Mexico. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. Uh, speaking of just community science activities, I was reading the news this weekend, and on NPR they said, do you live in Nebraska? And I said, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy. Um, And it said, the U.S. Geological Survey needs you to mail in dead butterflies. I can do that. Right? (laughs) So if you find a dead butterfly on the ground, you have to have at least two thirds of it. Okay. And you can just mail it to them. And we will link to this as well. Because they are trying to understand the impact of pesticides on all species of butterflies. So they said any species, mail it in. I was confused because they said not endangered species. And they didn't list monarchs as a not mailable species. And I was like, isn't it endangered? Follow the link. Read it. They have instructions on how to do it. It's very easy. You literally just mail it. It's a three-year-old. I get dead butterflies brought to me all the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And they will keep track of them to understand toxicity levels of pesticides for a long time. Nice. And they are focusing on specific states. It's not just Nebraska. It's migratory pattern states and the Corn Belt, which is part of why Nebraska is in it, because the Corn Belt has a higher pesticide use than most agricultural states and that's not all of our listeners but the majority of you Mm -hmm. would fall in that area so if you're curious click the link and find out if your state applies yes and i'm sure they would be happy to have you mailing in butterflies because they were they read the article it's very interesting they were hoping to have this done in 2024 but they're just not getting enough species sent in to really have a good survey of butterflies now to be clear do not catch a live butterfly no. and kill it in order to send it in. No, find dead ones. Find dead ones. You can. And 
And it's not Just look always, at the ground. <laughs> I know this um, study is going to make it sound like every dead butterfly you find is from pesticide use. Butterflies have relatively short life cycles other than monarchs Mm -hmm. a lot of them by the time you see a butterfly flying around it may have a day left to live and that's not bad that's its life cycle it has already lived as a caterpillar it's already lived as a pupa pupa it's just that they don't live very long as butterflies so it's not all bad right just is what it is. It is. So, and you can make their life mean more. Yes. <laughs> by mailing them in. <laughs> so send that in. All right. I think that's all I have on butterflies. That, Whew, was, that was a whirlwind. That was wonderful. Yeah. That was so much information. I try. I love it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Should we talk about what's blooming? Yeah. Why don't you tell me about your garden problems? Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> the main thing is... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got started on my fall garden last fall. Right. Right. And as you know, in the greenhouse, the plant selection can wane in the fall. Yes. And you waited kind of late. And I waited kind of late. And so I planted two different types of asters, not really thinking it through. One species is doing its thing, standing upright, not flopping over into my sidewalk. Do you remember which one? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think October skies. Okay. Blue? Purple. Purple, yeah. Um, and then the other one that I planted is full, fully bushing. <laughs> and just like there is a narrow walkway. Okay. Is that the lady in black? No. No. Mm-mm. Lady in black definitely stands up much taller yeah, and but slenderer. I thought, for some reason, I thought those were the two you're going for. But I did plant lady in black okay. in a different spot because I knew what would happen. With right. it. it was not suited for a sidewalk planting. Right. I knew that. Um, I don't know what. It might have been aromatic. Yeah, that would be a floppy. There's a few floppy ones. So I don't know what to do. Okay. First well, of all, remember how I asked to what should I plant that will bloom in the spring around it yeah. so that it's fun. These there will be nothing in the spring because they've <laughs> they have just bloom. taken the whole space. Okay, there's some little blue stem that has managed to sneak its way out. It looks like a weed. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Okay. So I'm gonna rework it a bit this fall and yeah. expand it so that I can plant some bulbs and things okay. on the other side. But I'm wondering, next spring, should I move them? Well, I don't. Will I they can't not? see this. Do you have a picture? No. I'll, okay. I'll show you a picture I'll later. See, we'll talk about the moving thing later. Okay. Let's talk about like immediate fixes. Yeah. Can I just cut them? Yeah. <laughs> well, we have. Let's. Yes. Okay. You can. Uh, you, they may not get a chance to bloom. Can you tell? Mm. Are there flower buds yet? Oh, they're already. Some of them are already flowering. So then, no. Yeah. If you want them to flower this fall, no. But you can do my my twine method. So yes. If you get some garden stakes. Um, you'll probably want them pretty I tall. I don't even know if that'll work. They are these. Are they? They're perfect little poofs. <laughs> oh, they're just too big. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry. They're not. So, these are not flopping. Okay. They're just. They're just too big for the spot I put them in. Poofing over their allotted space. Yes. Over poofing. Over poofed. Uh, then, what you could do is selectively trim them, so you trim just just what's One in side, the way, yeah. and then you get you'll get blooms on the top, but you probably won't. Get It'll them look funny. Way. Yeah. Next year, your options would be to A, move them, or B, to cut them early so they bloom smaller. So you could cut them in, like, late June, early July, cut them in half, and they'll grow up a little bit more, and they'll bloom smaller. I think I want to move them. Yeah. Will they be okay? Moving? If I get a good... They won't look good next year. No, they won't probably look good next year. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like... All I need to do is slide them like one foot. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I need. I mean, that might Just not be push. enough to disturb them too much. Yeah. So I would wait till later in the fall when they're starting to fade. Oh, you would do it in the fall? I would. Okay. Yeah. Because you don't want to do it in the spring, I don't think. All right. I mean, if we got a nice, cool spring like we did this year, then it would be fine. But if we went right into a blazing summer, mm-hmm. it would be rough on them. Okay. But I think I'd wait till October when they're starting to fade and you could just dig a hole on the backside and That's kind of what I want to yeah, do. I think you could. It's just a little slide. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I wouldn't do it now because they right, would definitely right. struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You might just be stuck for now. So that's my plan. Probably expand my sidewalk gardens a bit so I can slide them mm-hmm. and make it right with my spring plantings. Because, yeah. as you know, asters look funny in the spring. They look very funny in the spring. <laughs> but that gives you the chance, if you do it in October, you can slide your asters and plant your bulbs all at one time. That is true. Yeah. Should I, I plant my bulbs on the front? Should I move the asters even further back and plant my bulbs right along the sidewalk? I That's what I do. Yeah. Because otherwise That's a better you can't idea. really see them. That's true. Your neighbor would see I'll them. leave the grasses. Yeah. Not many of them made it. Because <laughs> grasses are full sun and they have yeah. been overtaken They've by been. asters. Little Bluestem was probably the most likely to survive. Yeah. But. And a couple of them have. Okay. So I'll leave those and they'll be excited. I know that there's different... I know people do different things. I tend to only move plants in the fall. Yeah. It's just... Well, I have a higher rate of success. And here's my other thing, as we've talked about, spring gardening is right. a challenge for when me. When are you going to have time? Mm-hmm. You have like 500 things to do in the spring. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are my main problems. I am anxiously awaiting to see if my uh, calorie problem will actually be a problem. Yeah. They are fading quick. Hmm. I don't know if it is whatever is under the ground eating them. Maybe. Yeah. Which worries me because once they're... hasn't shown up with any small mammals. (laughs) Not yet. Which, if the Calibroi is their favorite, when they get done with that, what are they going to move on to next? Probably Liatris. I know, which will make me upset. Yeah. Or if, like, the Calibroi just are like, whoa, we bloomed a lot and are, like, stressed by that. I I would not be surprised if they started fading, but Mm -hmm. I'm a little surprised they're fading now. Yeah. That we're having cool weather and rain. Mm -hmm. I would expect them to fade uh, later. So we will find out. But my plan is if they make it, I am going to move a couple of them out of that garden into a couple of spots where I've had a harder time growing things Mm -hmm. and see if they can take over those areas. Because I would appreciate it. Be worth moving them now, even though it's kind of a challenging time. Even while they're fading. Well, you might find out why they're fading. And That's remo- true. Remove, move them away from your, I assume, gopher that you have. Under I or ground. It squirrel. looks really small to be a gopher. Okay. The holes. Okay. But I am gonna dig them, and then I'll see the paths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sure. you'll probably, as you're digging, you'll find out if yeah, that's yeah. what's causing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So. We'll find out. So those are my garden problems. We'll keep working on. Flopping is my main garden problem right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just as things fade. And I, I go back and forth. I like to, I like to leave stuff, but I don't like it flopping all over the place. Luckily, a lot of my garden exists to supply seed for Bob. And so it does get cut (laughs) just to bring seed in. Uh So I've brought in my penstemons and... I've got some liatris getting ready and yeah. different things. So, but my big blue stem, I can't figure it out. I have a line of three big blue stems, and the, the line runs north to south, so they should get an equal amount of sun. Except there's a crab apple to the south, so the south one gets a touch less sun than the others. Mm-hmm. So the most southern and the middle, fine. The northern one struggling, hmm. and I don't know why. So it's flopping all over the place, and the other two are standing up all happy. And I don't know if it just got hit. We had a couple of really heavy rains. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it just got broken. Did you get hail? Yeah. Not, but not that large. Would, that would get everything. It should get all of them. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what happened, hmm. but I'm having a, a big blue stem flopping issue, and I can't figure out why one flops and the others are fine. Yeah. Oh. Alistair has straight up destroyed one of my big blue stem. I went out there. It's maybe three inches off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> like, all right, that's not gonna work. That's yeah. I guess he likes okay. big blue stem. Yeah. Okay. So what's blooming? Oh, like everything. Mm-hmm. So my mountain mint is still going strong. Yay. My stuff blooms forever. My I, my latris is in full bloom mm-hmm. right now, and I've got spiked uh, gay feather. Uh, my rattlesnake master mm-hmm. still blooming. My sunflowers are just starting to fade. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got garden flocks. Yay. My anothera, my primrose, still mm-hmm. going strong. My blue flax is still going. Wow, look at you. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's just happy. 
My primrose did not do much this year. Bummer. Yeah. Last year was a good year for it. This year, not so much. We did get Wahoo got rain a Mm -hmm. little earlier than Lincoln did. So I think some of my stuff got a little boost. Yep. Um, My ironweed, like I said, is looking really good. Same with the rattlesnake master going strong. And like I said, my asters are starting to bloom. So that's exciting, too. I always am excited to see that as like fall is coming. My asters are blooming. So those are some of the ones that are exciting for me to see. Yeah. My white garden is some of it's blooming. Some of it won't bloom till next year now. But Mm -hmm. I've got daisies and flocks blooming. My chamomile went nuts. Mm -hmm. I filled my herb dryer like three times with these two chamomile plants. Um, Yeah. I don't. Onion blooming. Ooh. My mm-hmm. onion's getting ready to mm. bloom. I The only aster I have is snow flurry, and I'm mm. trying to change that. I just have to find a place because asters aren't small plants. As I learned. As, yeah, as you are <laughs> learning. I think we're gonna t- we're working on taking out the rest of the 45 spirea that came with our house. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you need any spirea, anyone, we got some. Um. And I think I'll replace some of them with asters. I love the snow flurry, but it's just one color. Mm-hmm. It's white. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, send us your feedback about butterflies, because I, I have a feeling there's a lot of thoughts on butterflies and supporting butterflies. And so don't forget to send us your questions. Rate and review us everywhere you can. That helps us reach other people. Follow us on all social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on threads, actually. Um, We are? uh, NSA is on thread. Yes. On purpose? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We felt the need to claim our handle. Are we doing anything? I don't think we've posted a thread. Oh, okay. So maybe don't follow (laughs) No, no. Uh, you can follow it, just uh, which you're not going to see anything. Um, and of course, our Patreon. Join our Patreon because this week and a bonus podcast where you can hear some outtakes from some of our one of our other episodes where Sarah baited me. Um, <laughs> it was quite fun. <laughs> it was funny. So you don't want to miss that. Join our Patreon. You can find all of this information on plantnebraska.org. Bloombox and Bloombox Growing Deeper are both programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. <laughs>